Good morning, church. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, Josh and Caleb uh, shared with Jason and I that we would have an opportunity to share a brief reflection. And my typical response to anything like that is to freak out. And so I said, I'm going to need some help. Um, and in true fashion, Josh and Caleb looked at me and they were supportive and they were like, let us know what you need. I left that meeting, walked to the subway, and like questions were firing out. What do I talk about? How honest should I be? How transparent should I be? Will they find out that my life is really a hot mess and all that's keeping it together is Jesus, basically? Um, and would I lose credibility as a leader? So as I'm walking down the stairs, I hear this question, um, who am I afraid of embarrassing? Is it me or is it God? And that made me pause because it reminded me that I was trying to curate my story. I'm trying to control the image and the perception. And there's no way to embarrass God, the father of creation. There's no way that I could say anything about him that um, would not bring glory to him and his creation. And that gave me some peace, and I immediately was like, oh, that's the Holy Spirit, I should apologize. And so I quickly said, oh, God, I'm so sorry, can you help me shift my perspective? What should I talk about? Um, And I felt like it was about his heart. I should talk about God's heart for us, for me, for this community, for humanity, and what that looks like. And there's no better way to express that than to say that it's, the cornerstone is love. Um, And sometimes I know for myself, what prevents me from seeing that God's point of view is always from love is my pride. Um, I want to control the story. Um, And so I'm learning that I need to dethrone the pride and allow God's heart for me and his love to rise up so that I can have wisdom and discernment and understanding and that I can pour out and love in the way that the Lord loves us. Um, and what better way to think about that as we think about the candle of love, the story about Jesus being born, um, and what his life means to us, the resurrection, the restoration, the reconciliation, the abundance of life that that promise brings. Those were the things that popped up to me as I was thinking about what this time means and how I can appropriately um, posture my heart to receive that truth. Um, and so I'll light the candle of love. So I'm going to invite Christian Losi up to uh, read the teaching text. Today's reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. We have we have these these candles. It's um, 
Yeah, it's just part of the, the Christmas vibe that, uh, that, that you know, we, we talk about things like, uh, like hope and, and joy and, and love. This is the, we just lit the candle of love, and next week we'll light the candle of, um, of peace. These are the Advent candles, and this is either why you love this season, uh, or it kind of makes you a little bit sick. Um, this, this time of year is... Um, I don't know. It's it's a mixed bag. It's a tremendous opportunity on, on one level to uh, revel in our best sentiments as human beings, uh, to take hold of the best parts of our lives, the, the the best parts of our stories, to consider how much we have received from God. That there's certainly uh, Advent, Christmas represents that opportunity for us. Uh, but it also comes with a lot of pressure. This is notoriously uh, a really challenging time of year for many people. It's one of the time where where uh, you know it's maybe intense to even mention, but where, where anxiety and depression rates spike and where people consider, you know, maybe I don't want to even be around anymore this time of year. There's, there's a lot of pressure. And, and, and I, I think part of that is when everything is supposed to be meaningful, when everything is supposed to be powerful and sentimental and, 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 and a celebration of the best, it can, it can be very hard. It can stir up painful memories. It might make us aware, right, you light the candle of love and all of a sudden you become aware of places in your life where you're lacking love or where you're missing love or someone that you wish was here that's been here in previous years. And uh, not to be a huge downer after a great Christmas play, but just to be honest, um, that... that uh, Especially like the commercial sense of Christmas can be really challenging, uh, can be really challenging for us because, um, because it could sort of be like the sentiment, like the candles are lit and, and the travel plans are made and, and, the, and the, you know, the, the family recipes are, 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 are coming up. But sentiment without substance actually sort of leaves us aching a little bit, which is why I'm so grateful that we, we mark the season of Advent together, which... Advent is, is of course, slightly different than like commercial American Christmas for a reason. I mean, it happens, it happens in, in the midst in the same time. But this is a season, Advent is a season for acknowledging our waiting. Advent is a season for acknowledging hope, which means there are tremendous things that we're longing for that we haven't received yet. It is, it's a time where we enter into, in an imaginative way, we enter into the story of those who are waiting for Messiah, you know, centuries ago, but also we say really, truly, not in like a, a, an ethereal way, not just in a way that's a concept or an idea, but we're waiting for God to break in and to, to make things right in, in the world in general, but then in our hearts and minds in a, in a real profound way. And so I think about this every, every year, Christmas and Easter, just like full confession, pastorally, most challenging messages to prepare each year because you know exactly where we're going. There's no like pulling any punches. Guess we're going to talk about Jonah this morning, swallowed by a whale. Just, I mean, you can't do that. Like everyone knows we're, we're in the gospels. We're here. We're acknowledging our waiting. We're acknowledging our expectation. One of the sentiments that I, I think comes up <laughs> In, in, this, in the first sentence even of this passage, is this idea of being children of God. This is like, you hear that and you say, oh yeah, we're all children of God. It's, I mean, all, the, the human race as, as, as a whole are, are, are children of God, right? Listen, listen to this. Think about what's being said here. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. Now, right, 
especially in, in, in the pluralism of, of our day, you would want to say, wouldn't you, that all of us are children of God? Of, of course. I mean, look at the play we just saw. These are all God's, all God's kids, all God's children. Let's light the candles and, and sing and buy some gift cards for one another and move on. But the passage seems to be saying that there is something that happens that gives you the right to become a child of God. So what what is being talked about in that way that's different from the sort of general sentiment that we pass around about we're all, we're all God's children? It must mean that there, there, there's something going on that's not necessarily automatically true for everyone. So then I'm thinking, okay, who out there, maybe in this room or out at, at the farmer's market in the rain or, or, or in our city, who wouldn't want to be considered a child of God? Right, we should we should we should at least ask the question. Um, it might be difficult for us to uh, imagine God's perspective on this question, but we can at least know from a human perspective there are people, right, who are out there who say, "I don't want anything to do with being a child of God or being being the children of God." And so, so who would be in that in that category? And that would be an important thing to consider. I think at least first you would say there are those who don't believe in God. <laughs> Right, and and there's a fair fair many uh, uh, um, among that 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 category, uh, maybe in our midst in here or or, or, in, or in our city for sure. Now, now of course they don't want to be considered a, a child of God, and so what do they do? They have, they come they not come up with they adopt another origin story, right? This is this is how this is how it all came to be, and there's right, there's some there's some compelling ones out there. This is how it all came to be, and this is what the meaning of life is all about. So there are people who say, I don't need God in the mix, in the, in the considerations to make a life for myself. So I don't want to be considered a child of God. And then we have others, a second category, uh, of those who, who think God is out there somewhere, uh, but, but don't necessarily think that he cares that much about their life or that, that they can particularly know really with any certainty that God is involved. And so um, they might not want to be considered children of God. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I can really count on God in any meaningful way in my real life. And this, this position has always interests interest me to some degree. Like, you think God is there, but you're basically like, my sort of posture is to ignore that reality. <laughs> um, to, to me, that's like, I don't know, you, you can't do that with, if, if, God, if God really is there, you can't do that with other natural laws, right? You can't be just like, I'm out on gravity. It's there, I get it, I know it's real, but I'm just out, I'm out on it. Now you, you don't have the opportunity, like the, re, the real possibility of discounting a natural law like that. But, but, but we just sort of consider spiritual laws in a different way. I always think when I think about that sort of mentality, C.S. Lewis saying, uh, Christianity, if it's false, it's of no importance, no importance at all. And if it's true of infinite importance, the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Like if God is really there, then God is a reality that we really have to contend with in our minds and, and in our world. And so kind of ignoring him, even though it's tremendously easy to do, is not, is not really like an intellectually palatable uh, way, way, way to form a, a life philosophy. So the last category, at least for today, right? Pastors have to have three categories. Later, I'm going to have three points that are alliterated, so Merry Christmas. Um, but a, a last category are people who, who might not want to consider themselves children of God or those who are like, I do believe in God. I actually think God is, is probably good. Maybe God's even calling me, but there's something in me that, just, that keeps me out. It's not my problem's not with God. My problem's with me. And I, I'm not necessarily ready to, to believe. I'm not ready to surrender. I'm not ready to 
receive whatever it is. Like, God's there, God's great. Love the people who believe in God, that's just not me right now. And there's some sort of thing that you put on yourself that you say, I, I'm not ready to be considered in that category. I was considering this on Monday with, with, uh, with Tyler Staten, who pastors in Williamsburg, and we worked together on, on these sermons. And he said this sentence, which I, stood out to me. He said, we have a God who's powerful enough to give life, but loving enough not to force it on you. I thought, that's, that's interesting. Powerful enough to give life, but loving enough not to force it on you. But whatever's happening, this sentence says that there's a type of spiritual life, something that can begin in the linear passage of your biological life. As you're moving through the world alive, a different type of life can kick up and begin in your life. And, and when that happens, there's a way that, in a way that you didn't before, you begin to understand yourself as a child of God. Whatever else is being talked about in the gospel, that, that this is something that, that's being honed in on. And how that new life kicks up in you, how that new life begins, is really interesting. The, the how is mentioned in here, if you noticed it. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Whatever it means to be a child of God in the way that's being talked about here, it happens by reception and belief. They received him and then they, they came to a place where they believed in his name. We, we can understand this a, a little bit. Maybe this is immediately accessible and familiar as an idea to you. But you can understand it a little bit by the verse just before this. The verse that we ended on last week said, Jesus, Messiah of Israel, after prom being promised for hundreds of years, comes. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. They did not welcome him in. They did not accept his claims of who he was. So, of course, if they didn't receive him, they didn't sort of linger relationally long enough to get to a place where they were confident in his words, confident in his promise. They didn't receive. They didn't believe. And so, in some sense, though they shared uh, bios, they shared a biological... These, 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 I'm just like, I'm losing the, the younger crowd here. They're like, biological life, honestly, this isn't school, buddy. We're out. Okay. Peace. Um, so let's say it in, in the simplest possible way. The sentence is saying to us, if you receive this Messiah, this Jesus, now that, that, that's somehow possible for those who were walking around with him when he was in the flesh, and you, you believe, like you become confident in this, this Jesus that a new type of life begins in you right in the middle of your traverse through, through life. Like you're alive somehow, but through reception and belief in this Messiah of Israel, a new type of life kicks off in you and somehow you're a child of God. And what that particularly means is that you're born of God. And it's interesting. It says this new life, a new life begins. And then the next sentence is it doesn't begin by natural descent. Think about these categories. This new life, whatever it is, however it begins by reception and belief in Messiah, it doesn't happen by natural descent. It doesn't happen by a human being's choice. What? And it doesn't happen by the relationships that we're in. Three categories under which almost everything that changes in your life or that happens to you in your life could be filed under these things. It's the family that you were born into. It's the choices that you made in either achievement or failure. 
And it's the people that you know. What else could you say about your life that's not determined by those realities? Yet the passage is saying, somehow outside of those dominant categories of life-shaping things, something kicks up in us, begins anew. We come alive in some substantial way, right? You've, you've heard the people shouting with the bullhorns in the subway, you need to be born again. And it's like, what on earth? That's so easy to dismiss as religious fanaticism. But the gospel is saying that a, a actual new way of living, so substantial that you become an entirely new per- person, starts in you. Not by natural descent, not even by your own achievements, and not by the people that you know, but by reception and belief in this Jesus person, in Messiah of Israel, but also Savior of the world. Now, I get it. Not everyone is going to be on the same page, but even if you don't believe, let me just give you the terms really quickly of what you come to know is true about this new life. (laughs) Whatever it means to be born of God, it means these four things, okay? It means other things, but for for now and for time's sake, we're going to say four. It means when, when... you're passing through life. I'm going to walk in front of the screen. You're passing through the, the, the linear passage of your life from, from age zero to age 70. As you're moving through, a new life can begin in you. And when that new life comes crashing in by reception and confidence in this person, Jesus, a new life sparks up in you. And here's what it, what it entails. Forgiveness. The first thing it entails is forgiveness. That everything that you've ever done going back this way and everything that you're ever going to do going forward this way, whenever the point of reception and belief in this person Jesus happens, you're utterly and completely forgiven. Now, all the categories that we mentioned before, these people are like, I don't necessarily feel like I need to be forgiven. And that's fine. But many of you will live with a sense that, never mind God's standards, I'm struggling in this world to live up to my own standards. And so having a profound sense of forgiveness rush in, and ultimately by the highest authority in the world, like you might, you might need forgiveness from a family member or a friend or, or a colleague, but to need forgiveness from God and for God to be able to pronounce that forgiveness over you and say, no matter what you've ever done, ever thought, any action, any intent, any motive, no matter what, you can be utterly and completely free. The new life starts with forgiveness. You're healed, you're cleansed, you're new, you're welcomed in. Anything that runs like a ticker tape in your mind, trumpeting shame and saying that you shouldn't be included, that's removed by this person beside I'm just gonna, this feels like I don't wanna be near the flames anymore. I'm coming out here, and my head's going to be in the shadow, and we'll just always remember what a special time that was. So forgiveness happens, but right, this is the thing, right, in in the Gospels that John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So whatever it means to be born of God, to come into this new life, it means that you're forgiven. The second thing that it means is adoption, and this is really profound. So many of you, and me, me as well, grew up with a religious framework that was all about for, for forgiveness and getting in the right way of forgiveness. It's like, you need to be forgiven so that you can be clean, and that's basically it. To get rid of the shame, to get rid of the, 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 the mistakes that we've made, 
But the gospel over and over again insists that forgiveness is just the beginning. You're forgiven so that you can be adopted into the family, so that you can experience this mysterious welcoming, this rich welcoming, which is like you're brought into the family like a child who's been adopted, but then you spend time learning to feel at home. And you need to know that you're forgiven, but you're also adopted into the family. That's what it means to be born of God. When Jesus is praying later, later in this gospel, he's saying, let them have a share in the sense of home, the sense of welcome, the sense of love that we've shared, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, from the very beginning. So forgiveness, adoption, I've got to keep moving quickly, okay? Forgiveness, adoption, and then filling. So this is, this is how the adoption is accomplished. It's not like God just says, by category of idea, you are moved from not being in God's family to being in God's family. You're, you're adopted. You're actually then filled. There is a mystical reality. This is like, if, if you're looking for reasons to think that Christians are, are crazy, here's one. We believe the ghost of God fills our life. What? That actually you're filled with the spirit of God. That he wants to be in relationship with you so profoundly that he's willing to take any mistake that you've ever, ever done, pay for them and offer forgiveness. That no matter how estranged you feel, he's willing to bring you into the family. But not just as an idea, a literal filling of your life with the life of God. And the last thing I'll mention of what it means to be born of God is that there's a renewal. That the combination of those three things, the forgiveness and the, adopt, the adoption and the filling, begins a renewal. When you come around someone who's just, who's just done this, like whatever you believe about it, when you come around someone who's received Jesus and is beginning to grow in confidence in Jesus, they've experienced the adoption, the forgiveness, the filling. What you begin to sense is there's a renewal in them, right? They're, they're, they're loving things that they didn't used to love. They're, they're excited about things in a, in a, in a new way. There's a, a, a process of being new, right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has begun. A new creation can come alive in someone's life. That process of, of being new and fully alive, it, it, it begins to span across every category of someone's life. This is, in a sense, the heart, the heart of the whole, the whole few verses here. And the way the new life begins, right? I've said this, we're just reviewing here, is through reception and confidence in Jesus. So, just for one second, who is the Jesus? And the way this Jesus is described here is the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Like I said, not gonna spend a ton of time on this, but this is maybe one of the most important sentences in human history, whether you believe it or not. We talked on the first week about the logos, this idea of like the very source in Greek philosophy of, 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 the, of the substance and meaning of life. So whether you're believing in the story of Yahweh, the covenantal God of Israel, or you're believing just in rationality, John is intentionally trying to pull all those streams together and he's saying, in a sense, the translation of the sentence would be, the logos got a body and tabernacled among us. The source and meaning of life takes on human skin and then camps in our midst. I'll say it one other way, right? The very source who gives shape and meaning to life has come into the world 
and come into the world in the one form that we can most completely understand and relate to, right? This is so important. Human beings didn't just need a book of ideas. They needed a personal embodiment. So the very source who gives shape and meaning to life has come into the world in the one form that we can most completely understand and relate to, but hasn't just come to relate to us but to embrace us and to be embraced by us. That person, this Messiah, was like a traveling tent in our midst. The, the, the translation of the word he dwelt among us was that he tabernacled among us. So this would have sparked right profound memory for the children of Israel, but it's also an invitation to all of us to let our imaginations be sparked. What would it mean for God to have a tent in our midst? That's what Jesus' life was. A traveling tent, and if you got near it, you would see what God was really like. If you got near the tent of this person, Jesus, the word made flesh, tabernacling among us, you would see what God was really like. It has to have at least three purposes, and here's the alliteration that you were looking for. Ready? The first Jesus purpose was revelatory. I'm almost done. I know you can't believe it, but I'm really almost done. We talked about a super short sermonette is what it says in, 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 our, in our official bulletin back there. Jesus' purpose was revelatory. He's showing what God is like. Some of you, think about this for a minute. What's the picture that you have of what God is really like? A question that can help you get at the answer to that is what do you think God thinks about when he thinks about you? Or some of you will immediately have this, this God from your childhood who's terrifying, who's, who's demanding, who's got a long list of your wrongs and mistakes, and who's basically fundamentally always just a little bit disappointed in you, and has to love you, and has to light the candles, and has to give the gifts, but basically is like, ah, you drive me crazy. That's, that's not what God is like. <laughs> And and, and T. Wright says, the the theme of this gospel, if you want to know the true God, what he's like, look long and hard at Jesus. Whatever else he was doing, Jesus was revealing what God is really like. The second thing is that Jesus' purpose was relational. I said before, it can't be that we just needed a book of ideas or a spiritual, like this is so popular in our world right now. All you need is a personal spiritual pathway that you determine from the buffet of religious and spiritual ideas in the world and you cater them to what you need. You determine your truth and you set your path and that's how you get meaning and self-expression in the world. The gospel cuts absolutely against that. It says profoundly, you will never just self-diagnose the deepest, the, 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 the need of deepest healing in your life. You're profoundly relational. You have to know God who made you in a relational way and human beings, right? When Jesus summarized everything, he said, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' purpose was relational. I heard a podcast, or a friend actually was telling me about this, uh, this EMT worker who was on a podcast about death. And I may have mentioned this a few times to you guys, but um, can you imagine if your job is to be there with people at the last moments of their life every day? He talked about it in the beginning of his career. People would ask him, like, he'd see they're like, they're not going to make it from this roadside. And they would ask him, and they would say, am I going to live and he used to lie and basically say, yeah, you're going to be fine. Just keep breathing. Like, you want to comfort them. 
But he, he started to sort of feel guilty about that, like lying in that last moment to people. So he said, I have, I'm the only one there. What, what can I do for them? And so he began to tell the truth. For years, he would be by, by people as they're passing, and he would say, yeah, you're probably not going to make it. And that would sort of like, people would be grateful for the honesty. And, and he said there was a couple of categories of things that always showed up over and over. And one of them was, tell such and such, I love them. Like we're profoundly relational. Our deepest regrets at the last moment of our life comes from I wish I had expressed this love a little more. You think about that last moment and I mentioned to you guys the sadness of last week. I lost a friend in Dublin. I was over there for the funeral this week. It's been a whirlwind week. I was sitting with my friend Rob who just said goodbye to his younger brother after a two-year struggle with cancer and he was talking about the last hours and the most like, heart-wrenching part of the service was when his three daughters got up at the end as they're about to carry the casket out. And they read, this is what we think our dad thinks of us. And they read this beautiful letter. And, and Graham's life was ending with no regrets because he had an opportunity to communicate fully his love to those who needed to hear it. We are profoundly relational beings. Jesus coming, whatever else it means, is that God is not coming just to give you ideas, but to embrace you. <laughs> to make love, the candle of love that we lit this morning, to make love the very center of the human story. And the last thing is, the third R, <laughs> is Jesus' purpose was renewal. That when you're born of God, you, your, your life gets remade and you can become a part of the remaking of the world, the birth of the age to come. And so this is my, what I want to end with. The access point to the revelation of who God is, to this relational invitation, to this renewal. The access points are given right here in, in, in the sentence. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of what? Full of judgment to set things right. Full of holiness to bring people along. Full of instructions to to, to set people in the way. Full of grace and truth. What is Jesus full of? Full of grace and truth. Grace to know that you are fully and completely embraced no matter what you would imagine disqualifies you. And truth, to know the real nature of yourself, the real nature of the world, the real nature of God, grace and truth. These are the astonishing things Jesus offers us, not as disembodied ideas or concepts, but as a friend at a meal. Right? He's not sitting crisscross, applesauce, on the top of a mountain saying, here's a few principles. He's coming to a meal, looking you in the eyes and saying, welcome home. Welcome home for the first time or welcome home for the 50th time this week. Welcome home. So the question is, will you receive? Will you believe? To those who received him, to those who grew in confidence in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that right... (laughs) leads to an experience of intimacy. Some of you need to receive profound grace this morning. Some of you need to receive truth. And we're gonna come to this meal literally right now 
with those two invitations? Is there something that you need to be freed from, that you need to be released from, that you need the burden lifted, that you need to experience mercy? Is there some way that you've been walking in confusion, you've been walking in in, in just a, a, a... a series of profound questions and you need the grace and the truth that come through Jesus, not as disembodied ideas, but at a meal with a person. That is the invitation of Advent. Let's let, it, let's, let us let it do its work. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I wanna ask that your Holy Spirit would come right now And speak to us about the ways that we need to receive your grace, the ways that we need to receive your truth. I thank you that by receiving and believing in you, Jesus, that we can can be born of God. We can receive this new life. I pray that you would pour it out right now in our midst. As we come to the meal, as we continue worshiping, I pray you would minister beyond the words of this sermon to the secret places of our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.